I'm recording. Welcome to... Oh, someone I used to go to school with, right? She used to say she wanted to get, like, cremated. No, she didn't. No. Someone I used to go to school with said that when she dies, she wants to be put in a coffin and then thrown up a cliff so she can hear the splat. But then I was like, you won't hear the splat because you'll be dead. I feel like this is an idea you've had and you're just like... No, it's not me. I would say her name, but <laughs> she knows who she is. Do I know who it is? No. Oh. Oh, well. Welcome to Comfort. In death. And... Darkness. Darkness. <laughs> Can you pass me phone? This is cutesy hour. <laughs> I'm trying to get your phone without knocking the equipment. Mom's messaging me. It's you. your mom. <laughs> yeah. All right. Today, we I think we have done the most research either of us have ever done, ever. I thought I'd done a lot when I did the um, the episode about um, John Christie, mm-hmm. the killer policeman. Yeah. So I thought I did a lot then. <laughs> nope, this is a lot. Which, couple that with the fact that Charlie did a lot. I'm very surprised he did more than a page. Well, I got really into it. Nice. This is what I wanted. And there's a lot of detail into mine. Lovely. It's going to get gritty. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. To the point where I had to keep stopping my research and going... Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, shift. because we've written so much stuff, we're not going to do any news today. We are going to talk about just us first. So, how you doing? Uh, do you know what? I'm sick of Area 51 shit on Facebook. <laughs> Area 51 memes. Do you know what it is? Do you know why? Because I've said it for years that I would love to go. You don't want to read it, though. No, but I would love to like drive up to the very end point where you can't go. Up, like, to, up to the line, yeah. up to the border. I would just love to, right? And then just quickly like put a toe over and then... <laughs> Die. <laughs> <laughs> Get shot. Um, but like, I've said it for years, I would want to go. And then now everyone's like proper obsessed. But then as soon as this apps came out that makes you old, everyone's forgotten about Area 51, just like that. So you're sick of memes? I'm not sick of memes. I'm just like... Sick of that meme. I... <laughs> Uh, your mum's just text, text me saying, tell Jake to look at his phone, please. Uh, I like how your mum texts me to, to tell I you. I where my phone is. Well, you best find it. Oh, it Alright, so today we... We're talking about killer couples. Yes, killer couples. Couples who killed. Couples who committed the act of murder and while I'm, in each other's company. But I nearly got myself confused with this one as well, though. Because <laughs> you don't have a This is thick. Charlie's Confusion Corner. Like, I thought it was like couples who, like, killed... Not each other, but one another. No, no. one person one of them's in a killed, relationship aye. killed the other one. Aye, but then I was like, no, it's like people that are like doing it together. Like, doing it together, yeah, yeah. You like there are a couple that will be you divvy. Um, well, not mine. <laughs> oh, well, mine did. <laughs> I'm not even. I was gonna say something extra there, but yeah, same. That's not. And Manelli chose the same subject in as well. Uh, apparently, yeah. And we never will. Because I think I went hardcore with mine. I went hardcore with mine. Mm-hmm. We'll see. All right, do you want to do rock, paper, scissors, even though the people can't see it, to see who goes first? Yeah. Ready? And then, ready? Do it, do it in front of your microphones, like, uh, with, with the bass, so we can hear it going. All right, three. <laughs> what was that noise? It was my wrist clicking. Ooh. All right. Do we go? One, two, there three, go. go. Wait, little. There you go. Yeah. All right. 
I think we just made half people cringe. Right, I'll go in one, two, three, go, or one, two, go. One, two, three. Rock, paper, scissors. So work, paper, scissors, show. Okay. Yeah. Right. Rock, paper, scissors. No, you did fire. <laughs> Water balloon. Towel. <laughs> fire. No. Right, rock, paper, scissors, lizard's bar. Just rock, paper, scissors. Okay. Damn, both scissors. You <laughs> cheated. Both scissors again. Both, both did standing up paper. He got a coin. Three, two, one. Ah, oh. uh, yeah. Are you, get a pick? are you going first or are you going second? You're going first. Okay, I will go first. You probably wanted that anyways. But you know what? First away, second best. Yeah, bitch. First day, princess. <laughs> no, that's not how it goes. It's first away, second the best, third the hairy princess, fourth the ghost eating toast, halfway up the lab post. Fuck is that one? I don't know. I've always said that. <laughs> All right, let's get straight into this. So. Couples who murdered, and I have done the Moore's murderers. The Moore's murderers. You so, said that creepy, but you don't look creepy. I could look creepy. Go on then. Why are you pouting? <laughs> <laughs> I could look creepy, but kiss you at the same time. Yeah. So. You glad I'm sitting over the other side of the room. Yeah, freaking weirdo. <laughs> Your dad calls us that all the time. Yeah. Freaking well, weird. He's not wrong. <laughs> Come on, he's not wrong. All right, here we go. So. And I was just taking you about 10 minutes to get into this, that way, man. Well, Divin cut us off. Between July 1963 and October 1965, Pauline Reed, John Kilbride, Keith Bennett, Leslie Ann Downey, and Edward Evans were all murdered by Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. Oh, yeah. All of the victims we're not even adults yet. Yeah, this is a deep one, people. <laughs> All right, so Myra Hindley, she had been raised in a place called Gorton. I've got no idea where Gorton is, but there you go. Well, I'm rubbish at geography, so don't even look at That's me. That's a good point, especially after today. Isn't that right next to Magaluf? No, nope. <laughs> it's the side of the <laughs> island. <laughs> no, it's uh, no, it's because I got myself confused uh-huh. because another hotel that I'd looked at said 15 minute walk to Magaluf okay, and I thought it was in the same area but right. it obviously wasn't okay, so don't, right, even, anyway. don't even judge. To be fair I've never been to Magaluf so I couldn't tell you anyways. Myra Hindley was regularly beaten by her mother Nellie and her alcoholic father Bob as a young oh. child. What? I'm so tempted to say Nellie the elephant. Nellie the elephant, go for it. She's back the trunk like a <laughs> circus. She lived in terrible conditions until going to live with her grandmother at the age of five. Bob Hindley was known as a quote-unquote, hard man, in the army and expected Myra to be the same. At the age of eight, a local boy scratched her, scratched both of her cheeks, making her cry on the way home. Her dad told her to go back to the boy, punch him in the face, otherwise he'd, quote-unquote, leather her. So she went back, knocked him out, and would write about it later in life, calling it her first victory. (laughs) (laughs) That's a weird thing to scratch someone's face. Mm. Uh, let's see, Malcolm McCulloch, a professor of forensic psychiatry at the Cardiff University, sorry, not at the Cardiff, at, I was going to say the University of Cardiff and Cardiff University at the same time, anyway, <laughs> um, he said the relationship with her father brutalised her, she was not only used in violence, in, sorry, she was not only used to violence in the home, 
but was rewarded for it outside of it. When this happens at a young age, it can distort a person's reaction to such situations later in life. It annoys me when, like, sorry, you come off a little bit subject, but, like, you know, like, you get people in this world that are unfortunately, like, infertile. Mm. Some people can't get, have kids, but some Yeah, who and do. then you get horrible people who have children and they don't deserve them because they beat the shit out of them and they don't treat them right, and I think it's absolutely disgusting. And it's just so not fair. Not like, fair, yeah. Awful. I'd agree. Um, Sorry. It's fine. I get off my chest. <laughs> it's what this podcast is about. Um, Ian Brady was born in a place called uh, Glasgow. I don't know if you've heard of that place. Nobody cares. He's a dickhead. Uh, <laughs> oh, just wait. He was actually born as Ian Duncan Stewart um, to Margaret Stewart. His father's identity isn't known, but Margaret said that he was um, a reporter from Glasgow from a Glasgow newspaper and he died three months before the birth of Ian. His mother... Would, uh, couldn't support him though and gave him up to a local couple who had four children of their own so mm-hmm. straight away from a very young age he's already been like taken away from his family his family for the greater good <laughs> for the greater good while in the care of mary and john sloan ian took on the name and took on their name and became ian sloan and his birth mother would continue to visit him during his childhood so he wasn't completely That's, apart from his mother yeah. um it is thought that during this time ian tortured animals but he outright objected to those allegations later on in life. And he would go on to be accepted uh, for the Shorelands Academy, which is a school for above-average pupils. So he wasn't an idiot. Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to get that school. And I just remembered at the beginning, at the top of this page, I wrote, preface, shitload. <laughs> well, like when I used to write stuff when I was stocking up, just shitloads of this, yeah. shitloads of that. So um, at Shorelands, he became a bit of a terror twice appearing before a juvenile court for housebreaking as a teenager. He left the academy at 15 and became a tea boy at a shipyard in Govan. I've, I don't know where any of these places are. I don't think they exist anymore. <laughs> um, especially Glasgow. Nine months later, he became a messenger boy for... Sorry, yeah, messenger boy for a butcher. He also had a girlfriend named Evelyn Grant. But the relationship ended after she went to a dance with another boy and Ian threatened her with a flick knife for doing so. <laughs> what are you going to dance with someone for? Um, he appeared before the courts again with nine charges and was placed on probation just before his 17th birthday. The only condition was that he was to live with his mother. So he went back to his mom's house. By that time, she had married an Irish fruit merchant and had moved to Manchester. Ian's new stepfather, Patrick Brady, got Ian a job as a fruit porter at um, Smithfield Market. Ian ended up taking his new stepfather's name and would become Ian Brady. Within a year of moving to Manchester, he was caught smuggling stolen merchandise and was sent to Strange Ways, now named Her Majesty's Prison Manchester, for three months. Um, With him still being under the age of 18, though, he was sentenced to two years in Borstal for training. Borstal's like... A young offenders institute yeah um and training is supposed to like get you ready for the world sort of thing <laughs> that didn't work um he would bounce from borsal unit to borsal unit before finally returning to manchester after a few odd jobs he decided to quote-unquote better himself and he got a set of manuals on bookkeeping from the library which apparently astonished his parents by studying in his room for hours alone because at a very young age, he was obsessed with the outdoors. So to see him just suddenly go in his bedroom and study, bit of a culture shock for his parents. Um, 
and he would go on to get a um, clerical job at a where sorry at a wholesale chemical distribution company in Gorton. Remember Gorton? Yeah, that's where he meets that woman. Sort of, and that was in January of nineteen fifty nine. Um, colleagues call them quiet, punctual, and short-tempered. So they're three things that don't usually sound well yeah. together. Um, but he turns up really quietly, and then he'll punch you in the face. <laughs> uh, Sneaks he, up on you like creeping Jesus, and then you're <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> Knockout. Why did you suddenly just sound like you're from Yorkshire? I just did my Auntie Rachel's accent. He also read books such as Teach Yourself German and Mein Kampf as well as books on atrocities committed by the Nazis. Oh, what a dick. Do you remember what Mein Kampf was? Yeah. It was Hitler's book. <laughs> German for my struggle. <laughs> Here you go. I'm like, it was before he became leader of the Nazi party. That's when he I know, it. but still. Um, Hindley did not have as much of an eventful teenage years, um, but for one of her, but one of her close friends drowned in a reservoir while swimming, and she blamed herself for it. Um, and after that, she was then baptized as a Catholic, and it had an. Why were you trying to bite the microphone? <laughs> that was amazing. I looked up and just saw Charlie's mouth on nearly the entire microphone. <laughs> that was brilliant. Anyway, so being baptized as a Catholic had a very in. lasting effect in her. Don't put that in. Sounds like I'm doing something rude to it. It's just because it's spongy. It's because it's spongy. And Jake's, Jake's now doing that. Um. N. O. P. I thought we were just doing the alphabet. You said M. After school, she would become a junior clerk at a local electrical engineering firm and even became engaged for a short time before calling it off deciding that he was immature and couldn't provide like provide the life that she wanted oh, like so i me. guess i'll see you later yeah. um she would go on to change her hair color to pink that's what color you want me and she might yeah um she also took judo lessons where people were reluctant to train with her because she was slow to loosen her grip and then took a job at an engineering company in gorton before set a uh, before getting sacked for absenteeism after six months so she was just late so much or just didn't turn up for work so much um that after six months of having the job she just got sacked off um in january of 1961 hindley joined the same place of business as ian brady and apparently became immediately infatuated with him not letting his criminal record stand between them gorton is an area of manchester in northwest england okay okay Sorry. good to know good to know uh, hey, bit of info um she even began a diary and a lot of the entries described her fascination with Ian Brady, even documenting the first time that she ever spoke to him, that date being the twenty seventh of July. Mm-hmm. Who does that? It's like I spoke, I spoke to Charlie for the first time today. I do you know like <laughs> loads of people have diaries, right? Oh, but like I don't think I'm a diary person. No, uh, evidenced by the fact that you haven't got one. Yeah, <laughs> but like. It's As just weird, some of the stuff people write in, like, he looked at me. That's why sometimes they get released as books. I know, but... As time went on, her entries continued, and it seemed like she was actually losing a bit of interest in Brady, until he asked her out on a cinema date. Their dates would constantly follow a pattern. She's like, yeah, I'll go and see Spider-Man with you. No bother. 
This is the 60s, so yeah, I'll go see Tarantula with you, or Cocoon. <laughs> Her dates would constantly follow... Uh, Cocoon didn't even come out then. Her dates would constantly follow the same pattern. Cinema trip, usually to an X-rated movie. Yeah. You and wheezed then, it. Eh? You wheezed it. And then back to Hindley's house for German wine. <laughs> On break at work, they would read aloud together about Nazi atrocities. So they basically had a podcast without without microphones. Um, <laughs> but because of this, Hindley started to emulate the ideal Aryan, dyeing her hair shock blonde and wearing thick crimson lipstick to try and, you know, make herself look Chocolate a bit more German. Weasel. I don't know. Most of the pictures of her are black and white, so I'll never know. Hindley would go on to change her appearance even more, wearing clothing considered risque for the time, like high boots, short skirts, and leather jackets. Um, Just classic yeah. Newcastle night out there. That's too much clothes for Newcastle. I know. Jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Who owns a jacket? Fair like? play. With this, the duo began isolating themselves from their colleagues, spending a lot of time at the library and reading books on philosophy, crime and torture. Hindley did not have a driving license at the time, but she often hired a van anyway, and they had planned bank robberies together. <laughs> Jesus. Um, which they never got to do unfortunately. She also became a little bit obsessed with guns, trying to join um, a pistol club, buying various firearms and visiting shooting ranges. So when they decided not to rob banks, they took up photography. They would uh, photo Hindley and her dog Puppet and would eventually... <laughs> was it a real up- dog? Yeah. All right. Not a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't actually a puppet. Um, and would eventually upgrade their equipment to include lights and a dark room. No, you know, like, like with the I red light. I hope they didn't torture this dog. No, no, no. But he tortured animals, he said. He denied it, though. Right. Anyway. So he was coming up with this information then? Someone probably from the, Area 51? Probably, t- <laughs> probably the tabloids. Um, so they then began taking photos of each other that were considered explicit at the time. Um, <laughs> Send nudes. And this actually showed him these, like, really drastic change from someone who was, like, shy and prudish to being what she was at that point due to, due to the persuasiveness of Ian Brady. Um, in July of 1963, Brady started talking about, quote-unquote, committing the perfect murder. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> now you're putting your eye on the fucking microphone. Anyway, um, in July of 1963, Brady started talking about, quote-unquote, committing the perfect murder, where he often spoke about... Um, a mere Levin novel in which two young men from well-off families attempted to commit the perfect murder of a 12-year-old. Now, that's a story. It's not real. But this is. In June 1963, Brady had moved in with Hindley at her grandmother's house. On July 12th, 1963, the two made their first kill. He had her drive her van around while he followed on his motorcycle. When he spotted a potential victim... He would flash his lights, giving her the signal to stop and offer that person a lift. Just after 8pm, Brady found 16-year-old Pauline Reed, who was just on her way to a dance. He signalled Hindley, who pulled over and recognised Pauline. She was a friend of Hindley's younger sister, Maureen. Hindley would later say, I chose to pick Pauline because it was an easy option, less chance of failure, and someone who was known to me. If I could do this without conscience, I could do anything. Because he knew her. She. She knew her, sorry. But if I, that's that line there. If I could do this without conscience, I could do anything. Fuck. I know. 
Pauline got into the van and Hindley asked her to help find an expensive glove that had been lost on Saddleworth Moor. Now, think of a moor. Yeah. What are you picturing? Like a massive field. Right. This thing is about five times bigger than the town moor that we have. Jesus. It's massive. I'll show you a picture at the end. Blah, 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 blah. Where am I? Tires me out walking around the Hoppins on the town <laughs> The kid agreed to get in the van and off they went. Brady then turned up and Hindley said that he would be helping them. Hindley claims that she then waited in the van while Brady and Pauline went out into the moor. Brady, 30 minutes later, returned alone and took Hindley to Pauline, who was lying dying with two cuts to her throat from a large knife. Brady then told Hindley to wait with her while he went to fetch a hidden shovel that he had placed on a previous visit to the moor in order to bury the body. Hindley then noticed Pauline's clothes in disarray and guessed that based on the time he took that he had sexually assaulted Pauline as well. Brady had a slightly different story though, stating that Hindley was not only present for the attack, but also aided him with the sexual assault. I don't know what's worse. No, it's grim that like. So fast forward from July up to the 23rd of November 1963. Brady and Hindley were at a market in Ashton-under-Lyne, where they offered John Kilbride a lift home. They told him that his parents were worried about him and promised him a bottle of sherry. He got into Hindley's hired Ford Anglia, and Brady said that they would have to make a detour on the way to his house for the sherry. En route, he suggested another detour to search for an expensive glove. They went onto the moor. Brady sexually assaulted John and then tried to slit his throat before strangling him with a piece of string, possibly even a shoelace. He was 12 years old. What the hell? Mm-hmm. There's a bit of space in between that kills like, because then you have to fast forward to June 16th, 1964, and Hindley would ask Keith Bennett for some help loading her mini pickup with some boxes and would drive him home afterwards as a thank you. Brady was in the back of the van the whole time as well. She would drive to a lay-by on Saddleworth Moor, suggesting looking for a lost glove. Brady and Keith went off, and Brady returned alone with a shovel after about 30 minutes, telling Hindley that he had sexually assaulted him too, and also strangled Keith with string. Keith Bennett was also 12 years old. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. So. Imagine being the parent. Mm. It gets worse. On December 26th, Boxing Day of 1964, Brady and Hindley were at a fairground and noticed Lisa Ann Downey was alone. They deliberately dropped some shopping next to her and asked her for help, taking the shopping to their car and then drove her home. And when I say drove her home, I mean drove her to their home, not hers. Mm. Once there, they undressed her, gagged her and forced her to pose for photos before being raped and strangled with string. So Hindley constantly maintained that she went to run Leslie a bath and when she returned, she was dead. Brady, on the other hand, said that Hindley had killed Leslie herself. The next morning, they drove, they drove to Saddleworth Moor, buried her naked with her clothes buried at her feet. Inside of the... Were they folded up? I don't know. Well, if they were folded up, that's a bit more psychotic because it means that they've purposely, like... The fact that they buried them with the body, though. I know, but... Um, Just adds to it, doesn't it? And they buried her inside of a shallow grave. 
So they wanted it to be found. Well, probably not. No, but they're sort of like living it on the edge. They couldn't be bothered to fucking dig a big hole. That's a problem. Leslie Ann Downey was 10 years old. Almost a year later, on October 6th, 1965, Hindley drove Brady to Manchester Central Railway Station, where she waited and he selected a victim. A few minutes later, Brady returned with Edward Evans. He was introduced to Hindley as Brady's sister. They all went back to their home at 16 Wardlebrook Avenue, Hattersley, Cheshire, where they relaxed, quote-unquote, over a bottle of wine. German wine. Well, just wine. At some point, Brady sent Hindley for her brother-in-law, David Smith, who was married to um, Hindley's sister, Maureen. Hindley's family didn't approve of Smith, though. He had a few criminal convictions, including actual bodily harm and housebreaking. The actual bodily harm charge occurred when he was just 11. Throughout the last year, Smith had apparently been in awe of Brady after Brady had been making a friendship with Smith. This worried Hindley as she feared it would compromise their safety because of, you know, their extracurricular activities. Um, Nevertheless, Hindley returned with Smith and told him to wait outside for her signal, which would have been a flashing light. Mm -hmm. Upon receiving the signal, Smith knocked on the door and Brady answered. He asked Smith if he had come for the miniature wine bottles. Don't know if that was a pre-range code or what, but that's what he said. Um, He then left him in the kitchen when he went to collect the wine. This is what happened in Smith's own words. I waited about a minute or two and then suddenly I heard a hell of a scream. It sounded like a woman, really high-pitched. Then the screams carried on, one after another, really loud. I then heard Myra shout, Dave, help him, very loud. When I ran in, I just stood inside the living room and saw a young lad. He was lying with his head and shoulders on the couch and his legs were on the floor. He was facing upwards. Ian was standing over him, facing him, with his legs on either side of the young lad's legs. The lad was still screaming. Ian had a hatchet in his hand. He was holding it above his head, and he hit the lad on the left side of his head with the hatchet. I heard the blow. It was a terrible, hard blow. It sounded horrible. Do you know what a hatchet is? No. It's a little axe. What? Mm Mm-hmm. So he was killing the kid in front of him? Pretty much. Smith then saw Brady strangle Evans with a length of electrical cord. During, Brady, like, there was a bit of a struggle and Brady managed to uh, sprain his ankle. Evans' body was too heavy for Smith to move to his car. Did this man not stop him? you got to remember, he was basically just the same as Myra Hindley. He was infatuated with him. He was mm-hmm. in awe of, of Ian Brady. Evans' body was too heavy for Smith to carry to his car on his own. So they wrapped the body in plastic sheeting and stored it in the spare bedroom. He told Brady that he would be back the next evening to dispose of the body. But when he went home and told his wife Maureen what had happened, she insisted that they call the police. And when they did that, they went to like a phone box to do it. Mm -hmm. And they took a knife and a screwdriver just in case Brady chased them. What? He didn't though. But because they knew what he was like. Yeah took a knife and a screwdriver for their own protection. On October 7th, so the next day, Superintendent Bob Talbot arrived at Brady's home and explained he was there to investigate, quote, an act of violence involving guns that had been reported the night before. Brady was writing to his employer about his ankle injury at the time. 
Hindley denied the accusation, allowing police to look around. They asked for a key to the spare room, which Hindley lied about, saying it was at work, before Brady told her to just hand it over after the police offered to drive her to, their, to her work to get the key. The police then went back into the living room and arrested Brady on suspicion of murder. This is a quote from Brady. Eddie and I had a row and the situation got out of hand, he would say as he was getting dressed. Hindley was not arrested for another four days though and was charged as an accessory to Evans' murder. Edward Evans was 17 years old. All right, this is when the invest this is uh, when it comes to the investigation and there's an absolute shite load of information. So I've literally bullet pointed cliff notes, abridged notes. Yeah. So How here we go. pages have you got? Uh, one, two, two. It would have been a lot more pages if I hadn't have done this little like bullet pointed list. Um, so I'm just going to try and interject wherever you want. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to try and rattle through these. So this is, this is the investigation. Brady had Smith hide anything incriminating in suitcases which were found in Manchester Central Railway Station. Or like bodies in that? Just evidence. Oh. Like circumstantial evidence. Like, oh, right. like the books. Yeah. Um. One contained nine explicit images of a young girl with a scarf over her mouth and a 13-minute recording of a girl screaming and pleading for help. The mother of Leslie Ann Downey confirmed that it was her daughter on the recording. Imagine how you would feel. Mm. An exercise book with the name John Kilbride was found in their house, which helped arrest Hindley. The police found a bone protruding from Pete on the moor. It was Leslie's arm bone. That was on the 16th of October. 150 officers searched the moor for matching locations to pictures taken from the murders. The murderers, sorry. On October 21st, they found the remains of John Kilbride. On the same day, Ian and Myra appeared before magistrates charged with Leslie's murder. Eventually, it was settled that Brady was being charged with the murders of Leslie, John and Edward, and Hindley was being charged with the murders of Edward and Leslie, and was also being charged with harbouring Brady in the knowledge that he had killed John. One final thing of note from the investigation is that many photos of the duo on the moors contained Hindley's dog Puppet as a puppy. To try and date him, a vet examined Puppet under general anaesthetic, which Puppet never recovered from. This elicited one of the only times Hindley showed any emotion while in custody, furiously saying that the police had murdered her dog. If that's the only thing that gets you emotion... After this, yeah. you know she's absolutely fucking twisted. Um, <clears throat> so that is, again, the investiga- the initial investigation. So this is the trial. And again, there's a shitload here, so I've just done uh, cliff notes. It was a 14-day trial that started on April 19th, 1966. David Smith was chief prosecution witness, but was found out during the trial that he had sold his story to a newspaper for £1,000, which would have been the equivalent of £20,000 in 2018, if Brady um, and Hindley were convicted. So if they got convicted, he sold his story. Can you guess which newspaper it was? The Sun. It doesn't exist anymore, for this sort of reason. Yeah, I don't know. The News of the World. Ah. Says it all, doesn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. News of the World were already given him £20 a week income, um, a French holiday, and a five-star hotel to stay in during the trial. You're joking. Nope. Can I assist someone in a murder? And maybe I'll get that shit. Brady and Hindley both pleaded not guilty. 
Brady gave over eight hours of evidence and Hindley gave over six hours of evidence. Brady said when cross-examined that if the axe had killed Edward, then yes, he was a killer, knowing full well that the death was actually by strangulation. So he was saying, I didn't strangle him. It wasn't me. If that's how he died, I didn't do it. If he died from an axe wound, that's what killed him. Then I did it. So he's just been a dick. Um, Hindley said that none of the photographs on the moors were taken near any of the graves. The recording of Leslie's final moments with Brady and Hindley's voices audible was played in open court. Oh my God. Yeah. Hindley conveniently was downstairs, quote unquote, when Leslie was undressed, quote, was looking out the window when the, when the pornographic images were taken of her and was, quote, running a bath while she was strangled. But you were still there. You still didn't stop it. This is bullshit. Just, just trying to get yeah, off with it. Yeah, but even still, you still didn't stop it. You're exactly. still there and you're still letting them do it. Yeah. If that was true, do you know what I mean? On May 6th, the jury found them guilty on all charges after deliberating for just a little bit over... Four hours? Two hours. Not long at all. The death penalty had been abolished while they were in reprimand. Yeah, sorry, while they were remanded. So the judge gave the only sentence the law allowed. Life imprisonment. Brady got three concurrent life sentences and Hindley got two concurrent life sentences plus seven years for the knowledge of the Kilbride murder. Brady went to uh, Durham prison mm-hmm. and Hindley went to Holloway prison. Are you still there now? I'll get to that. To kill himself. I then, I've then written here, open Wikipedia, read the last paragraph on trial. <laughs> right, this one is, this bit's mostly quotes. Cool. Uh, what was his name? So the judge was called Mr. Justice Fenton Atkinson. So in his closing remarks, Atkinson described the murders as, quote, a truly horrible case and condemned the and condemned the accused as two sadistic killers of the utmost depravity. Mm-hmm. He recommended that both Brady and Henley spend, quote, a very long time in prison before being considered for parole, but did not stipulate a tariff. He stated that Brady was, quote, wicked beyond belief and that he saw no reasonable possibility for reform. He did not consider the same was necessarily true of Hindley. Quote, once she is removed from Brady's influence, so they feel like taking him away from her might make her change a little bit. Yeah. Throughout the trial, Brady and Hindley, quote, stuck rigidly to their strategy of lying. And Hindley was later described as, quote, a quiet, controlled, impassive witness who lied remorselessly. Mm-hmm. Couple of dickheads. Yeah. There was an investigation carried out some years later after Brady apparently confessed to the murders of Keith Bennett and Pauline Reed. Because remember, he wasn't, they weren't tried for every murder here. Yeah. Apparently, he confessed to a journalist. Um, Pauline's body was not recovered until July 1st, 1987. Bear in mind, he, she was the first one killed. Mm-hmm. They'll be able to find Pauline's body because of a clue that Hindley gave them when looking at photographs. Keith Bennett's body has to this day never been found. That's all. He was one of the 12 year olds. Myra Hindley died in 2002 on November 15th due to bronchial pneumonia at 60 years old. Ian Brady died due to pulmonary heart disease on May 15th, 2017. And he was 79 years old when he died. And the world did not weep. But both of them, both of them should have been strung up in the street. Well, the death penalty was abolished, unfortunately. 
No, but you could have got locals to do it before they got <laughs> the trial. It's vigilante <laughs> justice. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's the story of the Moors murderers. It's awful. And all is wrong with the world. Yep. I just want to know how they were able to, like, I know it's a different time, but people really trusted their kids when they were younger. Yeah. Like back in but the day. people never used to lock their doors. Yeah. It's crazy to think that that world was like 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. It's mental. But I don't actually remember, for some reason in 2000, like going back to 2002, that's a long time ago, I would have been, what, 10 Mm-hmm. November to th- yeah, I would have literally been just ten, and I kind of remember seeing news stories like on ITV and that about Myra Hindley's funeral. Mm-hmm. And I can remember like my mom and dad and that being like absolutely incensed that she was getting any coverage about the the funeral and that. Because I would have just put her in a cardboard box, me, and then just to be fair, I don't remember much about Ian Brady dying, and that was only two years ago. Yeah, like I don't remember any of that. But Myra Hindley, I mean, she was co- like, she got a nickname, I think, um, in the press. I can't really find it, but yeah, she had been nicknamed like, like the worst woman ever, or something like that, or like, like the the world's most twisted woman. So, the fact that they were able to get away with that for so long is just terrifying. I mean, yeah, it's it's one of the things where, and also, I'd I recommend reading up on this or like on, on this if you're really interested because holy shit there's so much there is a lot of stuff on this like the investigation that they did afterwards like when i said that um they then found pauline's body in 67 sorry 87 yeah. and then keith uh, keith bennett's body was never recovered i mean things like they took brady onto the moor they took him out of prison took him to the moor and said right find his body and he couldn't I don't know if that was him just saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I can't find it. Or I genuinely can't find it. I don't know where I've put it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much in this that, like, it's, it's bizarre. They're just absolutely sick. It really is. Um, all right, we've been recording for nearly 50 minutes. This is why I said we should do it in two parts. Because then it's another one to true, add. True. Mm-hmm. Right, well, we skipped the news and we still ended up with a very, very long episode. Um, so I say we end this one here and then we'll do your killer couple next week. How's that sound? That sounds good. <laughs> All right, I wasn't expecting you to agree. Like, no, you did yours, I won't do mine. <laughs> I've, got so, I've got a sharp pain in my head. That's not good. It's the ghost of Ian Brady and Meyer Henley coming to get you. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> the fuck out of my head. <laughs> uh, right, um, shall we do the happy ending? Yeah. That's I don't like calling. Call, I don't like calling it that. It's called the happy ending because that's why you don't like it. The reason you don't like it is why we don't. Is why you're saying it. All right. So for the happy ending, what have you been doing to keep yourself distracted? Um, working, working. You really need to learn how to how to and do I'm these. I'm a workaholic. <laughs> this is literally like when, when they do the uh, the weekly distraction on the murder squad. One of them will be like, yeah, I went to Disneyland and I took pictures on the rides. What did you do? He's like, oh, I fought fought a mountain lion. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to see Lion King. Yeah, we'll be doing that tomorrow. Yes. That's not what's been distracting you recently, though. I know. So Lion King's coming out, which we're... I've been playing on Sims 4. Sims 4, my God, you are obsessed with Sims 4. 
I'm just obsessed with Sims in general. I can sit on it for hours. And it's true. Like, I... Right. Why is it that girls can say stuff like, you play video games, like, that's for kids. And yet when it comes to Sims, they're suddenly like, yeah, I can play this for hours. What gives? What 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 is the difference for I've me? I've never said that about you. Girls do. What? So I'm not a girl. No, you're a woman. <laughs> Good save. Nice save. I high five. <laughs> you're not getting a high five for that, love. But like, I've had people say that to me in the past, and like, people say like, "Oh, why do you play video games? It's a waste of time." It's not. You read a book. I don't read books. No, no, I'm not you. I mean, the royal you. People say, "Why do you play video games?" Yeah. It's like, do you read? Yes, I read. Do you watch TV? Yes, I watch TV. Right. Well, video games is exactly the same, mm-hmm. except you are part of the story. Yeah. It's not like you're watching characters on a screen or reading characters in a book. You are playing as the main mm-hmm. character, so everything is technically happening to you. Yeah. And that's what I love about video games. I wish I had more time to read, because I do have a lot of books in that's my room. That's why I use... That's why I listen to audiobooks. See, no. See, see, that's the thing, though. You don't have a job that... I do have a job. <sighs> Let me finish. <laughs> you don't have a job that allows you to, to listen, listen to it while, while I'm work. working yeah yeah I on the other hand do so <clears throat> I can listen to like say it's a because I I turn the uh, the speed of the audiobook way up I know and I I can't keep up with it for instance um Ezekiel Boone wrote a book called um Zero Day I think it's the third in the trilogy of um of the Hatchening series about spiders um, I don't even like spiders yeah but it was a good book um, I always have to get rid of the spiders. And the last book was about eight hours long. But because I turned the speed up to like 2.25 times, the book was done before I even finished work. So I started work, listened to the book, finished the book, finished work. <laughs> it's the quickest I've ever listened to a book. It's amazing. Um, so, yeah. I've got like murder magazines that we've talked about before. That were passed down, and I really need to read them. That that's would probably a, come in handy. For that's not a distraction. It's it be would be a distraction. I could actually sit and a read. A distraction them. from murder. Reading murder was a distraction from murder. <laughs> 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 I do seem to only only watch murder stuff on the telly unless that's it's fair. Big Little Lies because I'm into that at the minute. But dramas are different from the documentaries, though, because again, dramas are an escape. So mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah. Anyway. We will get the hang of this happy ending eventually. I'm not a happy person. <laughs> really? I didn't get that impression <laughs> with you wearing black everything. On a hot day. Black's a, a slimming colour. And this pa- girl's bl- put the pounds on since... <laughs> no, you haven't. Black yeah. t-shirt, black pants, black socks. The only thing that's colourful about you is your I've hair. got black underwear on as well. Nice. You've got blonde hair and that's it. i got black bubble and in yet, all. I guarantee black you, bubble. <laughs> and yet I guarantee you when you get into bed tonight, you'll be wearing pink fluffy under, uh, underwear. Fluffy? Like pink, fluffy pyjamas. Pink loud No, pajamas. I've got my sleeping beauty pyjamas. That's pink with fairies on it. Pink, loud, <laughs> Disney. <laughs> Nobody sees them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Can you remember when that big plane landed? Because in... No, there was like them fighter jets that helped bring it down at the airport and we could hear it from the house. Vaguely. And it was like a, an aeroplane that had went off, veered off in direction so they had to like bring it to land. Again, I think it was vaguely. from Paris. And um, <laughs> It's a bit of a different, a long way from Paris to Newcastle. No, but like it, I think it was on like a journey. Oh, right. Okay, so it's going from, from Paris, Paris to, like, to, like, to like, somewhere like and then it's veered okay. off and then... 
I was like lying in bed in me. I think I had my Pocus Pocahontas nightie on, mm-hmm. and I was watching David Attenborough. Shock. Um, and Shock about that. Oh, I, I love David Attenborough. When I went to Bangor's Bingo, I was devastated that I didn't win the David Attenborough cardboard cutout because I would have loved that. What is the point of the story? Right, back to me story. I put it back to you. No, back to me story. So, it's lying in bed, Pocahontas nightie on, David Attenborough on, and I thought, yep, yeah, this is how I die. When I heard the fighter jets going, I thought we're getting bombed. Mm-hmm. I went, yep, yeah, this is how I go, watching David Attenborough. Pocahontas pyjamas. Yes, because they're going to bomb a place that's just next to Newcastle Airport first, rather than, I don't know, London? You never know. We had the lights <laughs> on. Could see we Could be aiming for the airport, where they know there's Christ. people. Where they know the, pl- the planes won't be able to take off anymore if it's being bombed. My host is an idiot. Um. <laughs> no, your host just thinks about stuff. You're so special. <laughs> Anyway, thank you very much for listening, guys. If you like this episode, please give us a review on iTunes. It really helps us out, preferably five stars. I'm and just keep listening to them, please. Anyway, yeah, and keep listening to them. <laughs> um, check us out on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. That's the same thing. Um, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts. Uh, TuneIn, Pocket Casts. Uh, and Spotify. I think that's it. Yeah, I'll get the hang of that again eventually. You should um, make a list. And yeah, attach it to the yeah to, that, to the mixer yeah. Um, I'm a proper oh list. God, person. I so need a drink of water. Um, I'll get one then. I will go get one once I've done this. Um, don't forget to email in. We have a question that we'd like to know. And we are unloved, and nobody emails us. Well, we've had two emails so far. Um, I might I might make a fake email address and just keep emailing myself. <laughs> I'll figure it out eventually. Like when I'm drunk and I buy my stuff, self stuff on Wish, and then I'm like, "Oh, what the hell is this?" Um, Present the from question me to me. is, what is the creepiest thing that's ever happened to you? What is the creepiest thing that's ever happened to you? Make it personal. Suspend dis- disbelief. It can be about anything. I think in the post I wrote, um, if it's you know, if you thought you were chased by a ghost, or if you were some with someone who. <laughs> I got like Scooby Doo visions when you said that. Or if you were with someone who suddenly started dipping their fries from McDonald's into a milkshake. Hey, it That's nice. creepy too. Um, tastes like sweet potato fries. Yeah, right, whatever. Don't so knock until you try it. Email that. Email the answer to that question to cdad. Cdad podcast at gmail.com. C I D A D podcast at gmail.com. And we will see you next week with the second part of Killer Couples. Didn't think it would go this long, but yeah. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Shaniqua. (laughs) Good night. God bless. There is no God. My grandma says that. There is no God. Every time I see my grandma, she's like, have you said your prayers? I'm like, yeah. God doesn't. Say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and I'll slam Andre the Giant. (laughs) She goes, good night, God bless. I'm like, okay. Good night. Because <laughs> you're supposed to end this by saying good night. People might might not watch it at night. They might watch this, watch it, listen to it in the morning. Doesn't matter. It, it's midnight somewhere. Right. That's my excuse for drinking, though. Nice. Five o'clock somewhere. It's like. How about how about this for the, for the for the sign off line? Do you say good night and I'll say good night underneath you, but with a creepy voice. Okay. So three, two, one. Good, good night. I'll line it up and post. <laughs> and we could just keep that as a sample and just keep using that at the end of everything. Possibly. <laughs>